is Macy Cole. I'm from Nevada, Colorado, and I'm a rising junior majoring in race, ethnicity, and migration studies at Colorado College. I am currently in Berlin, Germany with Professor Harvey Lewis in a course called Hidden Spaces and Hidden Narratives, Intersectional Studies in Berlin. In today's podcast, I will be discussing with you our session with Celine Berry of Each One Teach One, an NGO based in Berlin, Germany, working to provide community and resources for black people, African people, and people of the African diaspora living in Germany. This session, in particular, not only builds on what we have learned about the ways in which black identities are constructed in Germany, but also gives us insight into the work that is being done to support black and African people in a place in which the black experience is marked by not only oppression and marginalization, but also by isolation. Given that black people make up such a small percentage of the German population at approximately 500,000. Our conversation with Celine on the work of Each One Teach One expands on the work we have seen being done to provide resources, create community, or better, to create family for blacks, Africans, and African diaspora in a country that regards them as people who do not belong. Today, we gather in the original space of Yota, in a small, dimly lit room with books by black authors lining the corner shelves we sit close, on couches, chairs, and beanbags that have been dug into the room. A welcome cool breeze blows through the window, and the pitter-patter of rain punctuated by the occasional crash of thunder echoes outside. All eyes on Celine, she begins. She discusses the history of Yoto, the library of black authors they have, the counseling they provide, the community engagement classes they do with youth, their intersectional empowerment spaces. While working to provide community connection, networking opportunities, and long-lasting healing, each one teach one also works hard to ensure that their work is intersectional. This leads me to my first memorable moment. Reminiscing on a Neoto workshop, Selena calls modeling a piece of clay into water. This water, she claims, represented Neoto in the way Neoto feels. Vast, borderless in its vision and ideas, in constant movement but confined to small space. This leads her to the Black Atlantic's perspective she sees reflected in her experience working in Neoto. And so Black Atlantic perspective means that, that uh, we, we, we try to, to really get as much people as possible and that we, the people that arrive here, they are always transnational. And I always realize that when people come, some people are like uh, yeah, refugees, they ca- came through other countries. Some people are, are yeah, from the US, diasporic. Some people are here for, for, for uh, for generations in Germany and so on. So you see this whole complexity and transnationality of um, of blackness, actually. And last time, for instance, there was a woman from Brazil coming. She has this face of discrimination here, but she told mm-hmm. me a lot of stories from Brazil. So there's always, when black people communicate, there's always um, um, also this kind of talk. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. I was struck by the way that Celine so clearly articulated the complexity and transnationality of blackness. Not only did this lead me to think more about the diversity of blackness and how there are so many different ways to be black, but also the continuity of the black experience and how that connects black people all over the world. The fact that two people from totally different sides of the world can share such a significant portion of their lived experience reflects the enormous impact of colonial pasts and presence clouded with white supremacy. While it is better to think that the fact that the connecting factor for people are experiences of oppression and discrimination, there is something to be said for this unique aspect of blackness and that of the experiences shared by black people all over the world, 
are a factor in connecting people and creating community in a space where black people are an underrepresented population. Being able to connect with people over shared experiences, whether they're from across town or across the ocean, provides an avenue for a realtor to create a diverse and intersectional community that brings blacks, Africans, and African diasporas from all walks of life together. My second memorable moment was a question one of my peers raised about the term people of color. Who was included in that, and what are people's reactions to it in Germany? Celine's response was intriguing, not only in whom was considered a person of color, but also how black people perceived the term. Yeah, the beauty, so when I started to, to make like anti-racism work, um, political work, activism, for me POC was really a, a, a term for alliance, like between blacks and also Turkish and other migrant communities, also communities that are like, um, that, that were racialized during the guest workers uh, uh, in immigration because in Germany you have like a whole bunch of people that, that came as guest workers mm -hmm. and they were classed and, and they, they experienced to be stereotyped mm -hmm. and so on. And, and the Turkish are in there, but mm -hmm. there are also the Greeks mm -hmm. and so on. So mm -hmm. actually also Europeans, yeah, from my, from, from my understanding that I had that were, were self-identifying self uh, as Kanaks, yeah, mm -hmm. guest mm -hmm. workers and Ausländer like really the people, the foreigners, yeah? And, mm -hmm. um, and uh, of course, history changed and now some of these, these communities are like established and so on and the racialization is not so strong anymore. So for example, you have also Spanish communities of guest workers that now in their second or third generation, they don't, they are not stereotyped and they are not classed also anymore. But still the co Turkish community mm -hmm. is still racialized and classed, uh, which has probably a lot to do with anti-Muslim mm -hmm. racism. And, um, and for instance, in my understanding, people of color as defined as, as people that are racialized mm -hmm. and, yeah, and, and, and uh, oppressed mm -hmm. from the white, um, political ma majority would be also like Jews, yeah, because of the history of, um, of Germany specifically. Mm -hmm. So I would use people of color also as a very historical and precise, mm -hmm. um, punctual concept of political alliance, yeah, against whiteness, against the white religion. Um, <coughs> so it's always fluctuating, mm -hmm. but, um, and, it's and, and it's always in debate. And then you had like in Germany, like in, we talked about that yesterday, right? Uh, that, uh, that people defined now as they, they don't want to, black people don't want to be within this uh, people of color term, because what happens then when it's very broad, like I said, with like all the <laughs> migrants and blah, blah, everybody, <laughs> then, then people, then, yeah. for example, anti-black racism gets erased very easily. And then other people would talk on behalf of, of blacks or, or say, say yeah, we, uh, we as people of color, we experience police violence and blah, 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 but what is not true for the pe person that talks and that is in the front then. So, this is then a problem, that's why, yeah, there was a whole um, emergence of this term of black and POC, black BPOC, mm -hmm. they say. And uh, now, 
I also heard of B.I. Pop, and yeah, now we have like also the indigenous, indigenous, so it would be like uh, maybe Roma. Yes, and and, and so, but um, for me, I'm a bit critical about that because then, then I mean, either you take people of color as a term of alliance, or you take black. I, I for me, for my, I'm I'm both. You know, I feel myself yeah, as yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. But how and and how now the term developed now POC is for for all the rest and but mostly yeah it depicts like yeah Persian or Iranian uh -huh. and Arabs and so on so yeah then I would say yeah why not say Muslims or yeah. stereotyped as Muslim mm -hmm. or yeah. I don't know yeah it's very complicated with these terms but it always shows that. <laughs> racism is a construction, right? Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. always in, in movement, and you can never say who, who belongs to what. Because the term people of color is so broad, anti-black racism quickly becomes erased. When other people of color speak on behalf of black people, or lump in their experiences the rest of, pe rest of people of color in Germany, they inaccurately represent the lived experiences of black people in Germany. This was something I'd never really thought of before as an issue with the term people of color, as the same broadness does not necessarily apply in the modern U.S. in the same way it does here. As with many things, as I'm continually learning in my time in college, it highlights the importance of being concise with one's language, as sometimes making a sweeping gesture in the name of including everyone, while not necessarily having a harmful intent, can have a harmful impact. It also highlights the importance of paying close attention to the ways in which anti-blackness operates and how not explicitly pointing it out and discussing how it is unique to other forms of racism can lead to issues of anti-black racism being swept under the rug or drowned out in the noise. I was also interested in Celine's comments on the ways in which who is considered a person of color is always evolving. This draws me back to histories in the U.S. of groups such as the Irish, who were once racialized and classed, are now considered white, as it was decided to be politically advantageous to put them under that umbrella of whiteness. As Celine said, this clearly demonstrates that the race is a social construct as the definitions of it are constantly changing to suit certain political agendas all over the world. Joining me now are my peers Maggie O'Brien and Bella Stahl. Maggie is a recent graduate of CC from Cambridge, Massachusetts. She majored in creative writing for social change and minored in education. Bella is in my year, class of 2021, is from Nairobi, Kenya, and is an environmental studies major and with a minor in journalism. Together, we'll further discuss the session and how it contributed to our learning. So yesterday, we had our session with Celine Berry with Each One Teach One, and we talked about the group's work, how they've grown in the last couple of years, their vision for the future. Um, and I guess we can just start by talking about like what did you guys think about the session, and what did you, what are some things you kind of that stuck out to you? Um, I think that I think that it's a subject that's been touched upon a lot in um, our class so far. But uh, we talked about how, or Celine talked about how, um, just the importance of like each one to each one offering like a space for people of color in Germany and people of other marginalized identities to just like be with one another and to hang out and like how that in itself like is like so powerful and like offers community like that like we've learned about like is really hard to find in Germany um, especially like for Afro-Germans and um, 
people within the African diaspora. So um, I thought that was something that really stood out to me. And like, even though it's something we've talked about, um, like really like seeing that in action and like seeing that space and like listening to her was really cool. Um, something that stood out to me was how Celine said that literature can be a place of home and rest and also um, introducing people to different cultures and people. And I was particularly um, curious about how each one teach one framed knowledge differently. So the archive and the books and the space and the people and the stories that they focused on um, help to introduce community knowledge and, and the knowledge of people of color in that community um, and valued it over um, the school system and libraries in the city that might not have held that work or had those stories. And I think that's just such an important aspect of um, bringing people together is that you value their lived experiences and share their stories. And one example she gave was having students research um, in the archive collection and I thought that was fascinating because it's also um, having knowledge that hasn't necessarily been published or approved by academia still be a part of um, what people talk about and have access to. Yeah, and I think that kind of brings me back to um, another conversation we had with a different speaker where she was talking about how so much of the literature in Germany is from the last 30 years, right? Where we have this archive of 115 years of black authors in the US that we have access to and that people of color in the United States have access to, where not only in addition to being isolated, do you know, are black people in Germany being isolated, but they also don't even have, like, they don't have that option of like going and having, going to the library and getting a book written by a black author where they can learn something besides just like the stereotypes they hear about black people like like they don't have that like just at easily at access so I think there's so much value like in the fact that not only are they like sharing knowledge through like community building and like having that like community exchange and the space that they create but also like adding to that knowledge by having books in that within that space like building on that knowledge um, and I think that just kind of, like, shows a little bit, like, the theory of each one, teach one, and, like, you know, what she was saying about, like, and I was a little confused with where, she, like, what she was trying to say with this, but, like, giving knowledge, and so that the person you're giving knowledge can give the knowledge, and the knowledge is shared within the community, um, I thought that was really interesting and valuable. Yeah, I think that tied to how she brought up um, um, Friere, who wrote the Pedagogy, Pedagogy of the Press, and um, some of the things in that, in that piece of work that Celine mentioned were about how um, people learn together and um, how transformation of society only comes can only come from the oppressed groups um, that they need to lead that transformation. And I think there was a conversation we had during um, that talk about the industry of um, critical whiteness workshops and like focusing on the white community versus creating spaces for people of color. And I think Celine's point 
about the importance of having that space is so that um, that her community and the people of color in that community were, were doing the work that they wanted to do and having that space and not necessarily um, educating others around them. Their purpose wasn't about um, educating people how to be anti-racist, but focusing on how they could support each other and learn from each other and uh, share knowledge. And I like that that was like a very multifaceted like community. Like it, it wasn't just like a place um, it wasn't just like a physical space where people could meet, um, not just a library, I mean, all those things like have play such important roles, but they also had like concrete ways to connect people with like legal support if they face discrimination cases and they had um, the counseling part in each one, which is, I don't know, like it was just so interesting to me, the fact that they like played so many different roles yeah. and like recognize the different, um, the different ways that like those things can help like a very like um, practical legal support for people facing things but also just like a place for people to meet other people of color in Germany and other um, Afro-Germans in Germany so I thought that, that was like very interesting that it um, like just fit into a lot of different niches that you wouldn't think could be like one yeah and also um, just going off what you said like meeting other people of color but specifically meeting other black people um the question that Joni brought up about like the term people of color in Germany and Celine's response to that is something I that really resonated with me and surprised me because she didn't say what I necessarily thought she was going to say she and I saw this reflected today in our speaker where the term people of color is separate from you know black people and black people are separated from the term people of color here because the term is so broad and it includes people who you know who would be racialized as white in the United States are included in that such as Jewish people or you know other European like foreign workers who come here um, and how she just pointed out how important that distinction is um, and making sure that anti-black racism isn't getting erased but also like the importance of creating a community just for black people and African people and African diasporas, like, rather than creating a space that's for people of color, you know, like, their mission is very focused and very clear on, like, who they're reaching out to, and I think that's something that's very key in the work that they do, because they could so easily, you know, be like, we're a group for people of color, and that would completely change everything about what Yoto is. Yeah, and I think that, like, it's interesting, something I didn't know coming into this class was like how specific like that community of Afro-Germans is in Germany because like their presence in Germany has been like so erased and people like just equate like being German with being white and how, yeah, like it's kind of like the, it just reminds me of like the all lives matter, black lives matter, like when you say black, people say black lives matter because like that group has been like strategically oppressed and you need to like bring attention to like the, the fire as like the metaphor goes um and like it's it's cool that in Germany like each one teach one is like really focusing on that community that like unlike some other like marginalized groups in Germany like Roma or um like Jewish people who like had more community and more like um recognition in like mainstream German consciousness like they're specifically like looking to create that community and like um, address those issues yeah I think it's that just makes me think about how as you mentioned Maisie the like 
gap of years of when there were like black writers in the U.S. versus in Germany, and how how much more intentional and recent that like creation of the Afro-German community has been here, and what that looks like to like have to piece together a community and not have one established, because it seems like it has really evolved in the past 30 years um, of Afro-Germans coming together and establishing who they are and what they stand for and how to support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and just going back to the, the conversation on, on Black versus um, people of color, I think it connects to that because if you uh, homogenize every person of color, then you're lacking that intersectionality of of lived experience and how people face different forms of oppression and marginalization and um, you know calling a group um, people of color limits the fact that everyone within that group has different experiences and I think um, here specifically the black community does have a very specific lived experience and um, the groups we've met with like each one teach one are really speaking to that and not only like um, does the black the black community here have a very specific experience, but just what she was talking about about black trans like national or trans black Atlantic perspective, um, just talking about how like the black experience in general is so unique in that it's globalized because of the history of colonialism and like you know, the fact that you can be oceans apart and still come together in this one place and share the exact same experiences is something that I think is but both heartbreaking. Totally different yeah. yeah, like it's heartbreaking that that is what is the connecting factor that like discrimination or, you know, marginalization is a thing that like people can be like, yes, like I have lived this exact same thing. But there's also something to be said about how unique that is that two very like very different people whether you're not they're both from Germany and neither of them are from Germany and they're but they're here sharing the space that they can connect with each other over those things and like work like support each other and like provide that sort of like just safe space and connection that they might not have otherwise been able to have in a place where black Germans or black people in Germany are regarded as foreigners always regardless of whether or not they are born here or not born here so I think that's something that really resonated with me like not even just within the organization but thinking about global blackness and like what it means to be black and have so many different ways to be black but also at the same time just these like essential lived experiences that people all over the world are sharing yeah. and I think that's why this class exists is for us to try to understand how there are different experiences of blackness, but also in learning another group's um, acknowledgement and development and community around blackness, how it is similar and different than what exists in the United States, and and learning lessons and coming together in solidarity. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know, I think like for me it really was just like a very real 
physical representation of like the importance of intersectionality like more so than I've ever seen because mm -hmm. I've like obviously read about it in class and like learned about it and like yes what other ways there to view like feminism for example like without intersectionality but like looking at like they were giving us like pamphlets about like you know specific groups for um, Muslim women or specific groups for um, like uh, black women in Germany who were dark-skinned like I think that listening to her talk about how these experiences differ based on like the way that Germany is and the history history of Afro-Germans and the history of like immigration like really just solidified in my mind like how real and how important it is to like consider intersectionality when you're thinking about like anything yeah, yeah. any sort of I guess intersectionality is the framework for how those programs exist. Like, if you don't understand that, like, dark-skinned black women have a different experience in Germany, then, like, that group would never exist. Or if you didn't know that queer black youth needed a space because their experience was different, then it wouldn't exist at Each One Teach One. And that is, like, the the basis of, of equity work is realizing that there are these different levels and gaps that need to be filled and to push people up to the same place and be given the same resources. Um, and I was particularly interested in how the counseling center um, called Each One was offering some of those resources to people and really acting, I almost envision them at like the center of a very complex web in Germany. and like being able to connect people to that wider web of support um, while also just being like that solid base of a listening ear and focusing on the um, psychosocial uh, component of people's experiences and experiences of racism and sexism um, and any discrimination in Germany. Oh, but like how that in, a, in itself kind of gives them an edge and also hinders them at the same time because you know there's certain things about a grassroots movement that you know as an NGO like you don't have but also as an NGO like they have like just made a you yeah like this yeah but I would start your introduction again <laughs> yeah but also just so going off of that with Yoto being an NGO and just the benefits that that can have where they're able to this sort of bureaucratic thing is operating both it hurts it hurts organizations but at the same time like it gives them opportunities to like start to create these networks and like have the money they need and the recognition they need to like achieve this bigger vision that they have and like provide not only support but resources to people I think is something that is really unique about Yoto it's not just it's not just community it's not just a meeting space like it is you know official like so much more official is not the right word but like there are other things that you can get out of it besides just community you have community but then you have places to go that branch out from that community that you can you know not only like support one another and continue to grow that network but like know where you can go that actually can support you with your very like a very specific issue 
life that you're having and like get things done in regards to what whatever it is that you're dealing with I think that yeah I think that grassroots movements and organizations and NGOs both have the ability to serve different um, roles um, and I think that um, yeah I think that like based on the people who are working there like decide it's like it's really good that they both exist because you know it just like I feel like it's a it's a big argument in any type of social justice work are you gonna like work within the system or outside of the system and I've um, I've heard people say like someone who um, leads a career organization that was um, part of Pride Outside was talking about how um, she wished that she had actually decided to work within the system more instead of creating her own organization that like kind of tackled that stuff and I think that um, NGOs like still aren't they're like a cool middle ground because they're not totally like you're not it's not like you're working for the government because um, they're non-governmental but you are getting money from the government you have a certain level of credibility and um, credibility you know based on whatever people um, how they view that but I think that yeah no it's I think it's significant that, you, that NGOs can get um, funding and um, recognition at a higher level than grassroots organizations but that's just like a very different role yeah I agree they definitely both have like both are important they definitely both need to exist but for each one teach one's purposes like the fact that they're an NGO and I think is appropriate and useful for them and then finally this is kind of straying from the topic we were just on but discussing one of our peers raised the question of the n-word in germany um and whether or not that's a word that is like reclaimed by um black use or like if it's completely out of the vernacular or you know if it's appropriated like how that works um and her response to that was really interesting because you know obviously in the united states um black people use that word as like a reclamation but also i mean all the time you hear white people saying that word where they should not whether it's in a song or they're just saying it in a space where they feel like it's appropriate like or they feel comfortable saying it um whereas here celine told us that like no one says it and like thinking about like but also that there's children who say instead of saying the n-word they say figa which i thought was like really interesting and then our classmate caroline who spent a year here saying that oh she's heard white kids saying that here and not realizing that that was them appropriating a term that other black children had been saying or black youths had been saying i'm just like i think it's interesting to examine the different um constructions of language within different places and how we can look at the United States and see how the reclamation of the n-word has taken place and how it's also still used to um, hurt and harm and be violent against people of color and especially black people but then in the context of Germany where a different system has brought forth um, a different language and a different history and how 
is the absence of using the n-word a, a bad thing or is that simply how germany has developed its sense of racism and reclamation um and is it okay therefore for a different word to be taken the place of the n-word and i think it's interesting to even examine it as um if the n-word has been reclaimed by black people in the united states how the united states is held to such esteem and power that our systems are often um taken by other countries because of this idea of um being cool or um or being white because often black culture has been taken by white people and then made even more popularized because white people are taking black culture. And so if the N-word is being used in Germany, is that just another symbol of the United States and our problematic culture being taken by Germany, not because of its powers of reclamation, but because of its um, of larger issues of um, the United States and its its kind of stance in the world of politics and um, the power it has because of that. Yeah, and not even Germany, like you know, Germans. I don't even know if we can point to it being like Germans taking something the U.S. does, and it could be like you know within popular culture, like black people using the n-word and then them changing it so that it's close but not quite um, but I, I honestly am not sure if that's like something that like the US it's like a US influence that they're like oh this is a US thing like we're gonna do it because that's like what all the rappers are saying or if it if it is in itself like a reclamation of something but in a different way if that makes sense and I really and truly don't know I think it's hard to remove yourself from like an American perspective when you're you know elsewhere I think we're so American centric and all of our I mean naturally in our understanding of ourselves but also like everything is in relation to us whereas like maybe it has nothing to do with Americans and the things we do and the trends we have and it's something that's like developed kind of on its own um, but it's interesting to just like kind of think about like is it is that what it's meant to be is it something completely different and even so if even if it is something completely different does it make it okay that white children are doing or you know copycatting and like you know appropriating something from black children that they're using as like a term of endearment or a term of like empowerment Yeah, I don't know, it's a really complicated issue because, like, obviously the N-word has, like, a specific history in the U.S., but black people all over the world, like, feel, can feel, like, validly hurt by it, so I think that, I don't know, it just, yeah, it's weird because I think that in the in the U.S. it's a lot more frowned, up, frowned upon, but, like, I went to school internationally and it was not known like I grew up not knowing that that was like a word that no one could say so people around me said it of all nationalities as like the way that people like say it in rap songs and I think that you know it, it ties into that whole thing you were saying about like white people taking something from 
um, black culture and like making it seem cool. Um, even if it's like so obviously like, this word that's been reclaimed from like history, history of oppression. Um, but yeah, and it was just interesting to think about how, you know, obviously like we think about that word in an American context, but it's all over the world. Like it can be used all over the world because of the way that it's in um, popular culture. Um, and it doesn't have the same American context of like being frowned upon, which is, and like, is that, I don't know if it's like less dangerous because it's like, because in America it has more weight, obviously, but it's like, it's still, it's still the terrible word. Like it shouldn't be used ever, obviously, but it's just interesting to think about how like it's definitely used in other parts of the world without the same like level of shame that it has in America, which is like scary to think about. It's definitely this session, like, and you know, a lot of the sessions we've been having with speakers and on tours has just made me think about like, just how different, but also the same racism is operating globally. And just also like how identity is constructed and really thinking about like the nuances of how, you know, the history of a country can change that and I think like our talk with Celine really you know built on that learning for me and me beginning to try to like understand how racism and identity politics are operating somewhere outside of the U.S. Um, but anyway I think we are out of time thank you both so much for chit-chatting with me about the session that I am being podcast on. It's amazing. Thank you. Good talk. Good talk, everyone. So we've come to the end of our podcast, and I just wanted to say a few words to wrap up. Um, the main thing that's really stuck with me after our session with Celine is just the importance of creating and cultivating community and just how invaluable that is, especially in a place like Berlin like Germany, where black bodies are underrepresented and their voices are not heard. And just being able to be surround yourself with a community that not only, you know, gives you, you know, the beautiful things that community gives you, like friendship and solidarity and sense of identity, but also, you know, resources. And each one teach one is not only just a place to meet up and hang out, but it provides resources for the people who come to them. And you know, gives them a way to fight against the racism that is happening to them. And I think that's just something that the value of that cannot be understated. So with that being said, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast about our session with Celine Berry of Each One Teach One. My name is Macy Poland, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.